0: My name is Rebecca Naylor, and we're here to talk about women in medical missions. And looking at the audience, it looks like you found the right room. (laughs) So um, it's a little bit of a a strange arrangement for the speaker. I'm afraid I'll have my back to some of you, but I don't, this is how it is. So we're just going to be fine in here this morning. Uh, Thank you for coming. while we're together, we're going to try to answer a few questions, um, and uh, I'm going to also tell you my own story, and then um, have time for you to ask questions, because always um, there are lots of questions. But do women have a unique role in mission service? And what are some of the challenges that women face in missions? And then the the question is how can I prepare if God is calling me into missions as a woman what can I do right now to get ready for that uh, when we think about history of women in missions it, it, they've done everything um, certainly women have been huge prayer supporters for missions traditionally for forever Uh, They have a nurturing role. They mobilize support, support financially. In most churches and denominations, it's often the women who are really the motivators uh, for missions. They've been involved in domestic missions, especially when we think about uh, urban-type ministries and inner-city things. And then, of course, very involved in international missions. Some of the traditional roles that they have, um, very often women have been the pioneers in places, going into places not yet entered, uh, previously. Um, they, often that's dangerous. It's some dangerous places. Women have been very involved in church planting, uh, even historically. Um, I think one special advantage we have in that area, indigenous leadership are less threatened by women. And so it's easy for us to come in and go alongside them and be directly involved in church planting. Uh, Women have been uh, very involved with ministries to women and children. That would be pretty obvious. Uh, Health care, orphanages, uh, things of the sort very involved in teaching and education, very involved in healthcare, uh, linguistics and translation, and maybe something you've not really thought about, but missionary writing. Many of the authors who have, have recorded the history and stories of missions uh, have been women, and we communicate well that way. So these are just some of the roles that women have in missions. Well... Uh, We are unique, uh, let me assure you of that, and uh, one of the the unique things about us is that we can uh, reach women, and there are many cultures, especially Muslim cultures, but even Hindu cultures, which was where I worked, um, women are the ones who have to reach women, and we have that unique opportunity. We are better able to get into homes. Uh, that's partly because of our relationship with women. It could be because of children. Um, but we have that unique opportunity. And then the the other thing I thought of, uh, you think, well, that doesn't look like that would be right, may be able to remain longer in a hostile situation. Again, very often we're not seen so much as a, a threat. And we are able to stay very often longer than, um, than the men. Uh, in a book by Tucker, she said, uh, missionary service is one of the few vocations in which women have been more uh, prominent in adverse situations than men. And then J. Herbert Kane said, um, the more difficult and dangerous the work, the higher the ratio of women to men interesting it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to end up in a dangerous situation but if you do uh, you may have a a unique opportunity well uh, here's a quote from a missionary in 1881 my honest opinion is that many of the ladies i've known have been superior to many of our male workers in all that goes to constituting the true missionary. Their intense earnestness, their love to the people, their zeal, their untiring energy, and their long-suffering patience have been far greater than in the men. So women do have a unique role in missions, and even some male missionaries like this gentleman thought so. Now, having said that very fine thing, there are challenges. Yes, women do face, some, uh, in some cases, unique challenges. And we're just going to look at a few of those and think about um, uh, uh, how we can meet those. Uh, two major resources that I used in thinking about this, and uh, you may want to make a note. There's a lady named Ruth Tucker, and she wrote a book called Guardians of the Great Commission. Guardians of the Great Commission. It's about women in missions. And I also um, wrote quite a few women missionaries actively serving and just asked them some questions. And so that was a resource as well. Well, challenges. One of those is in the area of family and ministry. How do you balance leadership? Children, husband, being a health care professional, um, lost people. I mean, that's a lot on your plate. And so it can be very challenging to, to balance all of these things together. Um, I have a, a doctor friend that lives in North Africa And she basically, uh, because of various restrictions, the medical work she does is mostly out of her house. And she's got kids. She's homeschooling. Uh, They have village ministry. They're going out. And, And she has written me and said, you know, it is just so hard to figure out how to put all that together, and do I refuse to see these people who are sick? Uh, I have to answer my children. Uh, My husband needs me to go with him to the village because he's going to be dealing with women. Putting it together. Another is that the husband's position may be the dominant one in the mission setting. It often is. And that can be um, somewhat of a challenge. Uh, you may be having to homeschool the children. Uh, you may have never thought about teaching children. Uh, you know, you're a healthcare professional, so how are you supposed to know how to teach your children? Well, suddenly you have to learn. And, of course, all of your children are not all the same age. So that means you're teaching at multiple levels. Uh, to me, I've not had the experience, but that seems very daunting to figure out how to do that. Um, then another unique challenge, uh, mainly, and it's not its a challenge to husbands too, but we respond differently because we're girls, but separation from your children. Uh, obviously, eventually they're going to college, but in many places in the world they leave home sooner than that. They may go away to boarding school in high school or maybe even before that. And, and I think for the mother that's especially difficult. Um, And your expectations may not match what others expect of you. Your missionary colleagues, the nationals, uh, they see you as the woman and what you expect from them and, and in ministry may not match what they expect. These are some challenges related to your family and your ministry. Well, um, some of you could be involved in missions single. I've been single all my life, and uh you know uh well meaning even your missionary colleagues don't quite know uh, they can they treat you differently they it, you know they don't quite know what to make of you and and they can treat you differently um Sometimes it's even condescending. You know, this is the unclaimed treasure, uh, poor thing. You know, she's she's here like this. It's too bad she has to suffer in this way. Well, you know, I don't. I never thought I was really suffering in that way. Um, there, there was a a book that was written by um, a lady named Lockerby. It's by ones and by twos, and she said that when people would ask her. Um, you know, uh, why wasn't she married or whatever, she'd just say, oh, my husband died at birth. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was a pretty great answer. I've tried to remember it. You know, you might want to tuck that one away. Um, Another thing is that being single, you may get dumped on. Oh, she doesn't have to worry about the kids and the husband. She's got all this time. Uh, Why, we can give her these 25 jobs. Um, And they may not be really part of what is your primary work. Uh, And and literally, it may be dumping. Uh, And let me just say, I learned. It it took me a while to learn, uh, but I did learn. Uh, Most of the time as this happens, it's really not with any kind of mean intention. Um, you know, and I learned to just accept it. I also learned to answer, well, no, I really can't do that because, you know, I had reasons. But, um, it, it, it isn't that they, they even consciously don't, they just don't get it. So this is the challenge of the single missionary. Another challenge, loneliness. And this is not specifically for singles. This can be anybody. I think all missionaries probably struggle with this at times. You can be lonely in the middle of lots of people. Um, There's some sort of, it's even almost a psychological isolation that the missionary feels. Um, But loneliness can be just a major issue. Obviously, it's worse or it's more common if you're in an isolated place, out in the middle of nowhere, maybe there are no other uh, Westerners. Uh, maybe uh, maybe they're not even another believer. I mean, you're just out there. Loneliness can be a major issue. Um, well, here's one we'll talk about just briefly, but let me assure you it's real. Um, there's some gender issues involved. We know there are here well there are overseas there are in the mission community. Um, when you think of self advocacy that's really the feminism, and that's not the thing we're to do uh, self denial is is really uh, different in the sense that you know God has called you, you are submitting to his call you are obeying his call and uh, part of following jesus is denying self so um, you know we we don't want to get those confused Um, you are submissive to god's call and obedient but at the same time there are times when you are assertive and that's not wrong um, but sometimes it's misunderstood, and they don't quite know what to make of it. You may be doing men's jobs, probably will be, as a professional woman, and yet you may not have a voice at the table. You know, when they have their uh, strategy conferences and whatever and, you know, planning, you may not have real opportunity to give input. That can be hard. Um, field conferences board meetings Uh, you know I always first of all God created me to be who I am he gave me the skills and education to be the professional person that I am he called me into his service with a very special plan and I know whom God created me to be if if I'm facing this kind of restriction, and I did, um, what well, was okay? I had more than enough to do and certainly plenty of fulfillment. Can it be frustrating? Yes, sometimes it can. Especially, you know, sometimes you actually may know an answer that they hadn't figured out and they don't want to listen to you. Um, that's very frustrating. But you just move on and keep doing with excellence whatever God has put you there to do. Um, you know, uh, my mission board uh, recognized my work, very supportive, all that. It's just wonderful. But I knew, I know today, uh, a woman is not going to be in the top administration of my mission board. I knew I probably had the ability and all those things, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. Well, that's okay. It doesn't need to happen. Maybe that wasn't God's intention anyway. That isn't who he created me to be. So I accept that and move forward. Um, But you will encounter this. Uh Lottie Moon was a Southern Baptist missionary to China. She was not in medicine, but it, it, she serves a good case in point here of just these, these things we're talking about. Uh, she went to China in 1873, single lady, and uh, she was a teacher. And she was supposed to start a girls' school. Well, she did. She did what she was sent to do. But she saw in the villages... So many people without the gospel, never having heard, and she, the Lord just laid it on her that she had to go do village ministry. Well, the mission board said you can't do that uh, by yourself. I mean, you can't just, you know, two days in the sedan chair out to this village and isolated. Well, she said, God, God has shown me I have to. And what could they do? She went. Well, the next thing was, of course, she was not supposed to talk to men. And so she writes back to the mission board and says, There are all these heathen men around me dying without Jesus, and how can I not tell them about Jesus? Well, of course, she did tell them about Jesus. And out of her ministry in those villages came Chinese pastors and leaders who then led thousands of people to faith. Now, she was um, assertive. Uh, she was not a feminist. Uh, she was totally submissive to God's will. There was a time in her life when she broke an engagement to be married to a, a fine, supposedly man. and uh, But he wasn't about to go to China. And she knew where God had told her to go. And she broke the engagement. And she said, you know, when when asked, she said, "If it interferes with God's direction in my life, I can't do it." So uh, that that just sort of illustrates some of the points. Well, okay, we got challenges. How do we get over them and go forward? How do we meet the challenges? Well, uh, first. Foremost, basic, most important, God's call. What has He called you specifically to do? Um, There are huge needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, all over the world. But the need itself does not constitute a call to missionary service. God calls you. It's not a mission board, it's not an agency. It's not a a need, a suffering people. Yes, that's part of it. But bottom line, it's God's call. Um, Submit everything to him and trust him in it. Um, You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's from Proverbs 3. And so we are to submit everything. Lean not on our own understanding. Don't put qualifications. Don't put, say, I'll go if. It's, Lord, whatever you want. Be here, be there, wherever it is, whatever it is. And then once he shows you, you obey. That's the next key to meeting those challenges. Whatever he asks you to do, you obey. I've been told for so many years, and it is so true, be flexible. We used to laugh and say, you know, the saying was, simply adjust. Whatever it is, you just adjust. Things aren't working out like quite right. Okay, we adjust, we learn, we move forward. Next thing. Okay. Okay. So be flexible. Adjust your expectations. Um, you know, what what you think it's going to be. Uh, you may have to adjust those expectations. It may not be. In fact, almost surely it will not be as you thought it would be. It's going to be different. Um, this is true even when you go for a short-term mission trip, which many of you may have done. Um you know, you've got in your mind what you're going to do, and, and it's going to be this way, and you know, it's going to be like this, and this is what I'm going to experience. And you got there, and it was totally different. And you need to adjust your expectations. Um, you know, you, you may expect that a missionary community is just the most wonderful, saintly environment in which to live well friends I'm very sorry but we're just like everybody else and we do have a little you know disagreements every now and then and there can be a little problem well so expect that don't be bowled over when you get there and lo and behold you know they're just like every other human being in the whole world um, another thing develop relationships Uh, It could be with, uh, you know, not only Westerners, but with the local people. Work on building relationships, especially with other women uh, in the community. Uh, You know, one of the best ways, if you're married and have a family, your children can open doors to people and to homes, and you know, because... Any mother, you or anyone else, is happy to talk with another mother, and you're comparing notes about your children. And you know, the, the, oh, I, you know, had to deal with this, and you know, they did that, and lots of door openers. And open your home. Um, have people into your home. This is especially great for singles, but it's true for anybody. Um, make them feel very welcome, have hospitality, capitalize on singleness if that is the case. Uh, And there are all kinds of ways that you can do that. You will have uh, opportunities that others don't have. You will have some time that others don't have. Um, Capitalize on it. And if you're married, have a true partnership with your husband. Does that mean that you're doing exactly the same things? No. Very often you will have different relationships and and directions, but your ministries should complement each other. And it should be a true partnership. God has called each of you, but he has also called you as a couple. So... With that in mind, it it truly should be a partnership, even if you know some different things you do, which would be expected. This lady, Dr. Clara Swain, was the first uh, medical missionary. She went to India in 1870. Uh, Kind of, it'd be great to get a biography and read about her, but. She'd been there about 15 years when uh, the local Muslim uh, prince asked her to be the physician for all the women and children in the royal household. What an access. It couldn't have happened had she not been a woman. Um, An example of, of a unique opportunity and a unique role. Uh, Another wonderful story that you could read about, Dr. Ida Scudder, she grew up in India. Her dad was a missionary doctor, and uh, Ida came back to America went to college and went back uh, to visit her parents, just on a visit. And the story is that one night, uh, three times, there came a knock at the door. And each time it was a man asking for help for his wife who was in labor and having trouble. Three different men, three different women. The next day in the village or the town, there were three funerals. And this so, I mean, God used that with Ida, and she knew that somehow she had to train women physicians. Every one of those men had refused for her father to come. Oh, if you're the doctor, no. And so she went back to America. She went to medical school. She finished. She goes back to India. And in 1901, she started the Christian Medical College in vellore in South India. Uh, it was for women. And uh, until Indian independence in the late 40s, it remained for women. It became co-educational at that point. And it's a premier training institute in all of South Asia. Um, very interesting story. Well, I want to tell you now just uh, for a few minutes my story, and then we'll have plenty of time for some questions. Um, I spent my entire career in the country of India, As a physician, um, I grew up in the home of a Baptist um, preacher, and I heard about missions from, you know, earliest memory. Uh, I learned about missions. We had missionaries visit our home. They visited our church, my family. We prayed together about missions. So I was aware of missions. Uh, I was probably in junior high school when um, I began to, to... think that I was supposed to be a doctor uh, I, I knew zero I had no clue how you got to be one what they did nothing but I I thought you know and, and God I'm sure put that thought there I was 13 years old when some missionaries came to our church uh, for a missions emphasis thing and uh, that week God spoke to me clearly about it was me he wanted. And it was medical missions. Uh, I could not imagine it. I thought, that's too big. I'm nothing. How could I, I mean, what could I do? Besides, I didn't want to leave home. I didn't even want to leave home to go to college. So how was I supposed to be a foreign missionary? Well, uh, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents. I had Great communication with mother and daddy, but I said nothing. And this went on for about eighteen months, and it seemed like every sermon, every song, you know, wherever I went, it, it was just something I could not escape. And I finally figured out, you know, a little slowly, that God was speaking, and I I had to obey. And it was at that point that I said, okay, God, if that's what it is, that's what I will do. And then I told my parents, who were not surprised. And, um, and the prep- years of preparation went on from there. Um, I ended up in general surgery, and that's a story I don't have time to tell, but God orchestrated that as well. And in the late 1960s, women did not go into surgery. Um, but I did and uh, had an excellent training place in Dallas and you will notice in my senior residency picture there's one woman and I was it Um, the whole five years nobody else appeared Um, so I went with the Southern Baptist uh, then Foreign Mission Board now International Mission Board to the country of India they were just building uh, the Bangalore Baptist Hospital in South India in Bangalore and uh, I went there in 1974. The hospital was new, just opened. And um, officially 80 beds, but 40 were functioning when I arrived. Um, and over the years, God just um, kept growing the institution. I'll, I'll show you what it looks like today. Uh, services were expanded. Um, Christian Medical College in Velour that was founded by Dr. Ida that I'd read about when I was a little girl, uh, took over management of the hospital in 1989, and I was responsible to negotiate that agreement. And it's still in effect today. Uh, We started all kinds of educational programs for um, allied health, for nursing, for um, residency training, for doctors, for chaplains. So, all that took place. Um, I had multiple roles. Uh, You will always, any missionary will tell you, you're asked to do things that you never expected to do and that you probably weren't trained to do and possibly that you don't want to do. But um, anyway, I was there as a doctor and I was trained to do that. And and, uh, so there were the hours in the clinic and, of course, the hours in the operating room, which. Um, was um, a, a joy. Um, that I was not trained to do. <laughs> um, I had, when I, my first 10 years, we didn't have a gynecologist. And so being the woman and being a surgeon, those two things together made me responsible. And uh, by the time 10 years had passed, I was so well established in the community that um, I forever remained doing a lot of that, uh, contributed a lot to India's population problem. <laughs> um, it was uh, from the beginning I was given administrative, various administrative responsibilities. And after I'd been there 10 years when I was made CEO of the hospital, um, I had never been trained in financial management, human resource development, you know, all those things. Well, I learned. And obviously, it was pre-computer days. Um, And, you know, God is our competence. And if he asks us to do something, he will make you able to do it. And I I experienced that. I also, um, I learned I had gifts I didn't know I had. And another thing that happened was, um, just in a, after a few months, I was sitting there kind of like this one morning. And, you know, and I thought, I was still seeing patients, but it was less. And, of course, my real opportunity for sharing my faith was obviously with my patients. And so I'm sitting there and I thought, Lord now see i am not seeing as many patients and i i can't tell these files about jesus and and so you know why is this and what then i realized was a whole new community had been opened to me uh, i'm relating to the to the city i'm relating to government officials i'm relating to lawyers and architects and contractors and vendors and you know all those things And and that level of society in that big city in India is just like it is here. Those people are difficult to reach. They're self-sufficient. They figure they you know they don't need anything. And uh, and God had now given me open doors to all those people. So you know God just has a plan. It, It may not be totally our plan. And it's just so neat to see whatever is going to happen, you know. Um, the educational programs, the School of Nursing, uh, we started in 1996, and that I could talk about all day because that was my most favorite thing. But I taught anatomy and physiology in the nursing school for six years, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, most of our students were from, they were all women, uh, most of our students were from a very poor socioeconomic economic Level. And that was intentional in order to give them opportunity for a profession and, and a job and to help their families. And many lives were transformed uh, by that. Opening my home. Um, I was single. And if, if my social life was needing help, uh, it was easy to invite people to dinner. You know, I did that a lot. And um, Christmas. The first Christmas in India, I invited four Hindu ladies that I had come to know in those few months to tea. Well, the last Christmas that I was in India, I invited 250 people to tea. <laughs> and about 160 or 70 of them came into my small apartment. That was a great witness opportunity. I invited all kinds of people. I mean, they were doctors, professional people, lawyers, uh, people from the city, some patients, some pastors. I mean, they were people who would they never saw each other except in my house at Christmas. It was kind of like the social event of the season, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, but like one time a Hindu doctor asked me, I had a little nativity scene, and he said, uh, tell me, tell me about that. Oh, yes, I'd be happy to tell you about that. And, and the, my Christmas trees were always in a pot about two feet high, very small little evergreen. They'd ask about a Christmas tree. I could talk about evergreens and everlasting life. Uh, just, you know, in the midst of, of a social event. So your home is really important. If I had not been a doctor, I would have been a musician, And when I went to India, I figured that part of my life was over, except for my own pleasure, which I do enjoy, but um, it wasn't over. And we organized a hospital choir and uh, about 30 people, uh, all levels, doctors all the way down to helpers, and only two of the 30 could read music. And We learned by repetition over and over and over. And I, most of the years, directed and accompanied the choir. Um, occasionally, we'd have a director, but, you know. We gave concerts all over the city. Um, and we even once did a big musical drama production, sold out the biggest auditorium in the city for five nights. And it was, on a, it was entitled, Emmanuel Has Come. The first half is the Christmas story, and the second half is the Easter story. The first half was shown on national television from Delhi. So, music. And then I was very involved in church planting through all of my 35 years uh, serving in India, working with Indian pastors and evangelists. Through our hospital, we've started hundreds of churches. As patients come, they hear about Jesus. They go back to their villages. We follow up. We start groups um, and eventually believers, eventually baptized believers, eventually churches. Um, so the hospital today is now uh, 340 beds. Uh, you can tell by looking at the building has been added on to and it keeps growing. They treated over 275,000 patients in the clinics in the hospital uh, last year besides all the uh, community health outreach work. Um, Multi-specialty tertiary care. Um, God gave me this verse, uh, showed it to me, on my 70th birthday. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when (laughs) I am old and gray, do not forsake me my God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your mighty acts to all who are to come. And that is really what I declare to you today, God in his mighty acts in my own personal life and certainly in ministry. So what about you? Well, what are are the next steps? If God is calling me, how do I get ready? How do I prepare? What can I do now? You know? Many of you are students, some of you are already professionals, Um, but what to do? Well, develop your spiritual disciplines. This is something all of us at any stage of life constantly need to keep improving. Our time in God's Word, our time in prayer, our fellowship with other believers. This is so very important. Learn about the world. You today have tremendous opportunity with the Internet and all the social media stuff to know about the needs of the world, to know what's going on in the world. Um, Connecting with a missionary mentor can be very helpful. Uh, especially, you know, we've got email, you've got Skype, uh, whatever, all the other things you have that I've tried to avoid. Um, (laughs) There are ways you can communicate, and um, that is a good thing to do. Read missionary biographies. You say, I've got so much reading to do anyway. Well, during breaks or whatever, I know for me, this inspired me so much I learned so much about to see how God worked in their lives and what kind of ministry did they have and what did they do and maybe they had a family and how did that work. Uh, read missionary biographies. Share your faith now with others. You do not go overseas and suddenly be transformed into this person that is telling everybody about Jesus. Uh, it's now. It's, it's wherever you are now, in, in the school setting, in the workplace. Um, being a missionary overseas is not going to just make you into that. Um, look for cross-cultural opportunities where you are. It, now, even in the smaller towns of our country, there are uh, opportunities cross-culturally. And certainly in our cities, there are tons of them. So look for opportunities to serve and prepare professionally. Um, if you're still a student, be the very best student. Learn all you can. Be a good steward of that educational opportunity. A lot of folks would like to have that opportunity, and they don't have it. And and so prepare well professionally. If you are a professional, you know in the healthcare field, we signed on long ago to lifelong learning, and we just have got to keep keep at it. You know, keep. I was sitting downstairs this morning reading a surgery journal, and I'm not even practicing anymore. Um, these are some quotes from active missionaries: Never set limits on God, or be driven by your feelings, and know that healthcare can be the most effective way of reaching hearts with the healing of the gospel. You know, I say to people, in healthcare we are totally unique from any other profession that I know of. We can cross every geographic barrier. We can cross every cultural barrier. We can cross every economic barrier, the rich, the poor, the whoever. The village, the city, I mean, any of those. And to top it all off, we can get to a spiritual conversation in minutes. It might take months for somebody else. And a unique opportunity means unique responsibility. As healthcare people, we really have responsibility. What gives joy amidst everything? Well, this lady said seeing friends come to Christ, giving someone their first Bible, baptizing new believers, partnering with local church, and working together. So again, Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And the promise, he will direct your paths. Not may, he will. And that is what I would like to to really assure you of this morning. So, ah, we did very well. We have 15 minutes. Uh, I can tell stories all day, but uh, I'd like to hear your questions. And we'll just see what we can do with those. Uh, she asked if there are other female doctors in the hospital where I worked. Um, there were some Indian female doctors eventually, yes. Uh, there are actually more women doctors in India than, than we would have in America, which is kind of interesting in that culture. Uh, so, um, there were some Indians, not missionaries. I was the only missionary left in the hospital by 1985. So most of my missionary career was entirely with Indian nationals. What was was my biggest challenge when I started? Probably for me it was separation from family. Yeah, that was the biggest one. Uh, You know, you go to another country. I, of course, studied language, all that. And you have to learn language. You have to learn a new culture, um, new people, new environment. But I expected that. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, and I was going to have to do it. And so, you know, you just do it. Um, But the hardest emotionally was family separation.
1: next night that was to the older gentleman showed up pushed me all the way and intimidated and it, when he intubated it wasn't I could tell there was not conversation it wasn't in a software <laughs> like trying to let them he wouldn't let me take a second look how do you over overput like, things like that like continue to have how do you overcome this and get them to trust you as an
0: it takes a second. long time and you have to earn the trust and respect Um, And that's true, of course, in any relationship, but it becomes especially difficult cross-culturally in that kind of a a setting. Uh, There's no quick fix, but you have to just earn it by who you are, and it takes a long time. A lot of prayer, uh, trying to build relationships apart from the clinical setting, Uh, trying to let them know you as a person may help. Uh, in that you know, but it's, it's not a quick fix. Um, even with uh, I, I went to India and there, there was a missionary surgeon who had built the hospital, still there. He left after a year uh, of my being there. But uh, he would come and, and change my orders on charts. And um, that was I, I had a bit of trouble. I, I was pretty bent out of shape. Our relationship survived, and uh, till today, I mean, he's been back in America now 40 plus years. We're still friends, but uh, I had—I really just had no clue how to handle that. Uh, I went and said, you know, could you explain to me why you did this? Uh, could we? And that was just all I could do. And after a few months, he stopped doing it. Now, I guess he figured out maybe I wasn't dangerous. <laughs> yes? How would you go about starting a spiritual conversation
1: with someone? Like, let's say you're in India where it's mostly Hindu, where they're very actively Hindu. They're not wavering at all. Like, how do you do it in a way that you're approachable and they're not offended by what you're talking
0: about? Yes. When I was, um, for example, with patients, I prayed with every patient before surgery, always with permission. I never had anybody refuse. Uh, in the clinic, uh, you know, almost anywhere in the world, patients are like they are here. They, they do have the physical complaint, but they've usually got a family issue, a money issue. A, they got problems. And uh, sometimes I would say to the patient, well, um, you know, when I, when I face personal issues and problems, um, you know, Jesus is my best friend. Uh, could I tell you how it works for me? Yeah, yeah, you can tell me. And so then I would, you know, it, my own story. It's your story. They cannot argue with your story. And they cannot argue with what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus means to you. Um, So that can often open um, doors for further conversation. Obviously, if you're dealing with a bad news kind of situation, which of course happens, uh, there's opportunity. Um, Your identity as a follower of Jesus should be totally integrated into who you are as a professional. You don't compartmentalize. You don't separate. Uh, it, it just sort of ought to just come out. It just kind of overflows. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I had a Hindu lady ask me one day. She she kind of knew me a bit. and uh, You know, hospital-faced crises and things. And she would say, I don't understand how you're always so calm in the middle of all these disasters. I said, oh, well, let me tell you how that is. <laughs> they will see. So they're, they're just all kinds of, as you go, you know, that's I don't know if that helps answer your question. Yes? Um, how
1: did you choose to serve where you did and
0: what you stay for so long? Um, the how to choose where I served, probably it looks a lot different than it does for most of you today, but... Um, Actually, I had visited India as a tourist uh, when I was in medical school to see Velour. I'd been reading about Dr. Ida, and I thought I'd never see it again. (laughs) What a joke that was. And uh, and so I went to see, and and I had a very negative reaction to India. And I resolved that I would never, ever set foot in the place again. (laughs) Now, how I ended up there, obviously God planned it, But my mission board uh, conveyed to me that that's where the need was. And this is back to that verse in Proverbs. You don't put any conditions. It wasn't like, well, Lord, I'll go to any of the 200 and some odd countries in the world, but not India. That won't work. And so when they expressed to me this need in the new hospital, they needed a surgeon and all that, I just said, fine, I'm going. Now, why did I stay so long? The call. God put me there. Uh, My license to practice got taken away. I had to quit seeing patients. Many appeals. Um, Should I go home? Well, I, I even wondered. You know, I thought, well, maybe that's what God's telling me. I didn't know. I came for vacation and applied for a job. And in the middle of the interviews, the only time in my whole entire life that God spoke to me suddenly usually it's not that way. I knew I had to go back to India. i in the middle of the interview, and I said, "Sir, I'm sorry I'm no longer interested in the job." <laughs> and, and you know and eventually, after months, I realized submission could include giving up my skills totally. I'd already submitted my skills to God. I kept saying, Well, Lord, I've been using them to serve you. But then I thought, Oh, maybe that's it. And I wasn't happy about that. I love being a doctor. I love patients. But I said, Okay, if you're telling me I'm never going to be a doctor again, I will obey. I am not happy about it. I told God that. Within 10 days, I had the license. From a source we had no idea about. Um, God's call is what keeps you there. There were too many adversities to have stayed otherwise. And I'm so thankful. It was such a privilege. Uh, Somebody else. Oh, we're doing good.
1: How do you know?
0: Are you still there? I'm retired. Uh, and now, what I'm working with our International Mission Board and with Baptist Global Response, which is our Southern Baptist Relief and Development Entity, I'm the healthcare person globally, uh, and strategy consultations, and mainly mobilization of healthcare people. So, um, getting people to go do what I did. Yes. Um, at what point? Well, I don't know if I was called to be single. Uh, I was absolutely so sure about my call from the time of teenage. And so first I just didn't date people that that weren't disposed to such a call. And uh, so that eliminated a lot of possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't something I really gave a lot of thought to. I think any woman has a real desire for marriage and children. I think that that's how God made us. And I felt totally certain that if that were to be for me, God would bring the right person. I mean, he'd call me to mission, so I figured if I was supposed to go with somebody else, he would put that person in my life. Once, nearing the end of my residency, I even thought it had happened. And then it didn't work out. In retrospect, I'm so thankful it would not have worked. And God protected me. And I could not have done all the things I did had I had responsibility of a family. Was I called to being single? I never thought about it. I just trusted God to, okay, if I am, I am. If I'm not, bring the right person, and that'll be wonderful. That would be really exciting. Um, But it didn't happen that way, and and it was fine. Um, And loneliness, yes, that was an issue. But I, I saw some of my good missionary friends who were married where the wives had a lot of loneliness, so it, it wasn't just me. Yeah. Was somebody back here? Yes. Um, kind of along those
1: same lines, in a culture that really highly values marriage and children, um, how do you respond to that cross-cultural element when they, when they make comments?
0: Or well, they don't make comments, even among my good friends. they They just didn't quite know. They couldn't figure out what to do with a single woman because there weren't single women in their culture. If they were, they were kept at home and they maybe had a job, but they lived with parents and they were, you know, that was how it was. And so they didn't quite know what to do with me in that sense. That's when I really started inviting more people home to my house. And once that happened, then I began to get more invitations to their houses. Um, you just be yourself. God made you who you are, and and I I never had a problem with, uh, you know, I mean, I was aware they didn't know what to do with me, but I didn't sit and think about it. I had plenty to do. And as I was, just as I am, and and shared myself with them and my home with them, they began to share with me as well. And, uh, And God blessed in that way. Uh, Time to learn another language. It was after I went to India, and uh, different mission agencies do it differently. Um, Our mission board now absolutely requires focused, full-time language learning. When I went, um, that was ideally what they required, but they needed me to go to work. So the plan was that I would part-time be a doctor and part-time be a language student. Well, um, being a part-time doctor is usually uh, difficult, and it was very difficult. But I was studying language with a tutor three to four hours a day, but working pretty much full-time. So it wasn't ideal. But language acquisition is very important. Very important. And don't, don't complain about the time that's required to do it. It it will pay dividends for all the years. And as you learn language, of course, you're learning a lot of culture, which is, of course, also very, very important. We have two minutes. Anything else you would like to ask? Yes.
1: Have you identified places that you can use your language or culture acquisition that you've gained now that you're back in the United States?
0: Um, I'm sure that I could, and I haven't. And I I sometimes thought that was wrong, mainly because I've been so um, busy doing other things. And I, I don't know that that's right, except I felt that's what God had for me to do. So I've done it. Um, when I first came back, I was teaching at University of Texas Southwestern Med School and caring for my mother, who was nearing 100 years old. And so what hours I wasn't at work, I was caregiving. And, um, and after she was gone and I wasn't at the school anymore, I've been in this job with Baptist Global Response and the Mission Board, mobilizing people. So, um, you know, maybe that's going to be the next...
1: Maybe that's going to be the next
0: job. Who knows? Yes. How often did you visit your family, and did you ever take a day off? Visiting family, in the early years, uh, I was coming home about once in two to three years for two to three months. Um, In the later years, starting about 1990, I was using my vacation time, which we got 30 days a year. I was using it to come home because Mother and Daddy were older and I needed to come um, so that was the family um, days off uh, I, I then and now I'm not quite as disciplined about that as, as I maybe should be uh, that didn't really um, that just really didn't enter into it I, I wasn't worried about days off I never thought about days off uh, but I learned early, and I am very good at it now. I can, I can just have the most wonderful time and relax and, and do something really special, and uh, who knows what it might look like, even in hours. And, you know, three or four hours out of the hospital in India, Um, Sundays, uh, Sunday evenings, I tried to mostly protect if I was on call, unless I was on call. Um, but, you know, uh, just uh, the last story. Sundays, um, and, and maybe some of you even now have already begun to think about this. Sundays were almost the worst day of the week. You had to start rounds even earlier because you had to get finished because you had the church responsibilities. And then then we went out in villages and things in the afternoon. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it, it was just, you know. And I, I, one day, oh, 10 or 15 years into this, I thought, why couldn't I have been like maybe a secretary? And then when I walked out at 5 o'clock on Friday, It was over, and, you know, and every night it would be over, and then I wouldn't have to be, you know, feel sorry for yourself occasionally. It's all right. (laughs) But then I thought, okay, how am I going to deal with this? I figured out that Sundays didn't have to be like that. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have major church responsibility. And so the Sundays that I was on call and making rounds, I took all morning to make rounds. I had time to talk to patients more than any other day of the week. I wasn't trying to get to clinic or the OR or anything. And I took time, and I could share my faith with them. and, And all that began to happen. And working on Sunday became worship. And it was just really neat. And it just freed me so completely. Um, and I didn't feel sorry for myself anymore. Uh, to the point that sometimes I would even volunteer for extra Sunday duty. Because I, I just loved being able to spend time talking to people about Jesus. And I could do it. And they would listen to me because I was a doctor. <laughs> you know, they, they trusted what I, whatever I had to say. They knew it was probably important. So just just a word. There are ways that you, you make these kinds of adjustments, and, and uh, life is good. I've so enjoyed sharing with you. Um, we have, uh, the IMB has a, a booth. Uh, I think it's 1402. I'm happy to talk with you anytime. And uh, my biography's been written, and you can read that one. Uh, so thank you very much.